So that word conventional, if you look it up, it means normal and natural. I mean, what the hell? How come? It's it's for organic people's fault. They've they've accepted that classification of words. And I said to Patrick Holden about it actually in the nineteen no in two thousand. He was director of Soil Association. I said, you shouldn't be allowing this. You should be calling those guys chemical farmers. And he said, yeah, but we've got to maintain a dialogue with them. You know, we want to convert them. There. That doesn't work. They, you know, so um, it's the wrong wording. And organic. What organic means is is just farming and gardening. And the next step from that is no dig. Because even with organic, you can be rotivating your soil. And if you're doing that, well, what are you doing? You're killing a lot of wildlife. You know, I thought organic was about preserving wildlife. And back in the 80s when I started, you know, pretty well everyone was rotivating in the organic world. And we didn't really think about it. You know, I'd use it sometimes, use the rotivator. So no dig. <laughs> you are preserving all that soil ecology. And it all begins from there. And the, that means you've got the soil on your side because in, in the soil that you, we can't see, we can't see all the beauty, the beautiful process that's going on there. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast. Good drama, Steve. Welcome. We're delighted to have you. Genuine we are. Who's we, by the way? Steve. Dave. And Sarah, are you going to give your... When our powers combine, we are... The here we are here. Oh, that was such an anti-climax. <laughs> no, do that again? no, with Shawnee as well. We're the Rebel Alliance. <laughs> okay, we're the Rebel Alliance. Yeah! Wow! Go, like Captain Planet. I like that intro. Um, but uh, normally you do a little spiel about. Um, oh, we plug something. Well, no, I was gonna. Well, that too. But normally you you tell what the podcast is. This is a Happy Pair podcast. Oh, yeah. This, this, this is the Happy Pair podcast where we try to inspire you and enlighten you. Well, really, we just have so much fun talking to people that we're really interested in. And it's just so lovely. We really enjoy it. And I hope you do too. That's a lovely way of saying it. And it's only a bit selfish now. No, no, the, no. The next bit is you plug. Oh, the plug. Okay, in terms of plugging. So um, just to let you know, this, this week's plug. So. First of all, thank you. Our new book, The Veg Box, is an international best-selling book. What does book. that mean? So it was number one in Ireland last week in the best-selling book charts, and it was number six in the United Kingdom, the Sunday Woo! Times bookstore. So thank you, thank you. the vegetables. Yeah, and this vegetables. podcast, after you finish listening, you will be a world-class class, no-dig gardener. And you might be wondering, what do I do with all these vegetables? They're coming out of everywhere, and my neighbours have them, and we're just, the vegetables are taking over. How do we cook them and eat them? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, as, as Stephen said, after you listen to this podcast, you, and if you do start growing them, you might have loads of vegetables. And this book, The Veg Box, is all about empowering you to use more veg. It's class. There's great reviews out there already on it. It's our most simple, practical book. And uh, yeah, it's available to uh, order now. Link down below. Yeah, yeah. link down below. Plug over. Happy days. Woo! Um, so we're in uh, June, which is generally school report time, right? You were uh, oh, reading yeah. out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who are you reading out? Neds or Tios the other day? I never is... actually read them out. I, no, but we were talking about it. And it just sort of made me think it's so funny how like, you know, imagine you're being like there's someone writing a report on your behavior all the time. And then I was like, I suppose that's probably what they call like feedback in work or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, have you ever? Or are we going to do public feedback here? Are we going to do public <laughs> shaming? Are we each getting a public flogging? I was wondering, like, when's the last time you guys got any um, negative feedback? Well, it <laughs> we doesn't got, have to we be got negative. We got public shaming a few weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> like a public come flogging. On, that's different. It doesn't have to be negative, but like an assessment of your overall behavior and person that you are. Well, it's hard to be truthful because, like, you know, people will say nice stuff to your face generally. You know, they generally will because that's a, that's baked into our DNA that we want to be accepted into the tribe. So we generally say nice things. 
things to one another. And, and you guys have never had a real job. No offense. <laughs> We've never had a real job. No, but you know, in, in work, there's normally a kind of feedback loop where um, you have your, what's it called? Assessment. And by, by a real job, Sarah doesn't mean we're trust fund babies. It means <laughs> that we start a vegetable shop and we've been on this hustle for 18 years. You've just been playing years. a game. Hustle, yeah. Like and that. just landed where you were at. Okay, with this in mind, I was wondering, Dave and Steve, um, I, I, I just looked up a template quickly for like a, a regular report card. So I was going to ask Steve to step out of the room and I was going to ask Dave oh, cool, okay. to do a report See on later, Steve. Wow. And then Steve, you come back. <laughs> this is fun. Steve, you come back and I'll ask you the same. And you're supposed to say what you think Dave would say about you. Good fun. This is live. I feel like I'm in a game show host. Yeah, I know. Oh, this is fun. It's quite cute. Well, uh. There, there, it's okay, cute so Steve's left the room. Steve has left the room and it's quite cute because it's a school report card now. So um, just to warm us up, how's Steve's spelling? Awful. Awful. Yeah, Steve's dyslexic. The words wander around the page. <laughs> yeah. He's gifted so many things, but spelling is probably yeah, not his best Yeah, spelling is hideous. Anyone yeah. who uh, reads your Instagram as uh, stories or captions you might notice from time to time there's spelling mistakes Many that would be Stephen Flynn <laughs> yeah yeah there we go okay um counting in numbers oh he's very good at that yeah yeah he is he's very good he got like I think he got like an A1 or something he was he never really studied it but he's always good at sums he was good at sums um like art drawing and, and coloring not very good at that no not no really. never focused very creative like hyper creative like like on the lunacy level like the extreme end of like gifted in creativity but artistically I don't think he's ever focused in that side but it's probably there like it's probably there he's good at he's, he, he lets his curiosity run away yeah he's, he really is he's, he's pretty he's pretty incredible um, music and dancing he's very enthusiastic very enthusiastic he'd get like 10 out of 10 for enthusiasm <laughs> uh, musically like no Definitely not. He'd get like a, he'd he's get one a, of like, my favorite people to see on a dance floor. Oh, he's just he's enthusiastic. He kind of dances like a stripper, <laughs> which amazing. sounds weird. But like when you know him, like that's kind of how he dances. Like, yeah, yeah, he gives it like, everything. Oh, the passion! Like I think he watched too many Enrique Iglesias dancing videos it's when he was so like eighteen good. or something. All right, uh, playing and sharing. Playing. Oh, he's very good. Yeah, he's he, he'd give you the t-shirt off his back. He really yeah. would. And he's a he's a big tigger. So yeah. If sometimes even a little bit too much so because oh, your hands could be yeah. full and he's eating something and you'll put oh, it in give, your mouth. Or no, he'd give your dinner. He'd give my dinner away to oh, someone yeah. else. Like oh yeah, I was kind of hungry. <laughs> and you can't say no because I'm like technically like you know he would see me as his you know because we're twins. That's so funny. And you can't say no because then you look like the eyes. Yeah, so you're, you're like, just the, like you're uh, like the cheapskate or something. You're the type person. Um. Talking and listening. Excellent at talking. Yes. Because there's so much enthusiasm, so much energy. Listening depends. When he's tired, he's a very good listener. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah. I could, I would say, you know, the, if, if I was to pick an area of room for improvement, yeah. I probably could say listening. No, I, I probably would be the same. Um, interaction with others. Oh, world class. 10 out of 10. Attention. Mm, little bit of room for improvement I mean this morning was a perfect example I can't even remember Remember the meeting we had Oh he fell asleep in it Yeah Yeah he fell asleep He's fallen asleep twice Yeah he fell asleep There seems to be Lots of these meetings He falls asleep in He can't handle Um like Zoom or Google Meet oh, meetings. Yeah. He'll just fall asleep <laughs> beside it. So we're like, uh. Yeah, when he goes quiet, like, you know, it's generally he's going to sleep or something. <laughs> it's, 
I yeah. think it is the sunrises, and he's not because su- sunrise right now is five a.m. And Steve gets and up at four forty-five. He gets he up makes regardless. The yeah, they're diligently to. You know, I mean, serve you're not people. that bad. You you're pretty bad yourself. You go down like fifteen minutes later. I, so. Yeah, I lie until five fifteen or something. So oh, so that fifteen yeah. min- minutes yeah. make all the difference. Thirty minutes. I don't need a nap. But it is gas when he just kind of falls asleep, and then he'll wake up and he'll say loads of stuff straight away, and you're like, we, we uh, we've, we've already just discussed this. Talked about all that. Steve, just shut up, Steve. All right, last one. Uh, readiness and punctuality. Readiness. Oh, my God. You get a 20 out of 10. Yeah. Because he's, you know, he's explosive. Oh, God, when he's he really up for is. it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's sometimes it's too much. But too ready. He's yeah. too ready. Punctuality. He's like a five-year-old on Christmas Eve yeah. lots of the time. Punctuality. Yeah, he's pretty Germanic. Like, he's he's on it. But no, but I think he's, he's interesting because he's Depends. either so punctual or else... Pretty damn late. Yeah, for me, sometimes he'd be cash or Dave would be yeah. grand. And he, but then for other people, he'd be like, he'd be on it. So that's it so true because he's late for me a lot. And then for well, that's because like, we, we're like family. We're like him. You know, yeah. he'd think he'd be going to him. Like, so he doesn't wor- worry about our time. No, he kind of be going, ah, sure, listen there, me. You know, that, yeah. that would be, to be some kind of weird link there. So, okay. Do you want to call Stevie and tell him that his report card is ready? Yeah. That was. I probably f- should have written it. Well, I will remember what you said. No, he'll remember. He'll know exactly what we say. Do you reckon he'll? Uh, do you reckon he'll guess all the things that you said? Of course he will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, really he knows himself him. well. Ah, he knows. He's you know he's all right. Well, hello, Mister Student. All right, Steve. So I'm gonna ask the questions that I just asked Dave about you, and that you're supposed to answer about yourself. What you okay, think I feel that like I'm Dave, here to meet the Dave said? Yeah. Well, it's your your appraisal. <laughs> no, finally. Oh, listen, I ain't no Miss Trunchbull. No, <laughs> Stephen. Flynn. Sarah Fawcett, yes. What's your spelling like? Appalling. I reckon I'm actually undiagnosed dyslexic. We've all diagnosed you. Yeah. You are. I feel even sending a text, I have to read it about five times. <laughs> and even still, I'm like, I think I've missed a word or forgot something. Ah, uh, sure, we it all works. understand you. Yeah, yeah, you're that's right. the main yeah, thing. Yeah. Counting at numbers. Good at that. Drawing and colouring, so art. Good at that. Like not good at drawing in terms of like, like drawing like the, say the but snake. But drawing a life, oh, yes. Is that it? Dun, yeah, yeah, so like what about painting then? I'm good at painting walls. So yeah. it's it's your own <laughs> form <laughs> of art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. like this. This is kind of yeah, a hybrid abstract, of what Dave yeah. said. Yeah, painting the life of his dreams. Yeah, yeah, I be- yeah. think you're basically trying to say you're creative, but not yeah. conventionally so yeah, yeah, in the drawing. And don't yeah. put him in a box, Sarah. Don't try to put him in a box. Don't limit him. Doesn't that just give you an insight into like, I've taken a template from a generic report card that's done for preschoolers. No offense, Stephen. (laughs) So if they're limiting art creativity down to whether you can draw, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Because you're super creative, but you're probably not good at those two things. not those two things. Anyway, if we made a report card, we'd make it different, right? Yeah. Music and dancing. Oh, I love it. I love dancing. I'm wild. I think... This might sound a little weird, but I think in a past life I was a stripper. When I <laughs> dance, I just I, I knew always said. feel like. Yeah, anyway, I won't go into the excess detail, oh God, but so I don't bad. strip, but I just dance. Mark always takes the piss out of me. I'm like this Latin lover that's always oh, stop it, yeah, yeah. Do, stop it, you yeah. dirty it. devil. Yes, yeah, so I dance definitely. Music, I'm tone deaf, but I do. Um, oh, you give it your best shot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. wonderful. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> uh, playing and sharing. Good at that. Very good. Yeah, love that. Right, yep. uh, I can definitely can say confirm good at that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good at that. You'd give the shirt off your back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With joy. Talking and listening. 
good at talking. Maybe you got to work on the listening part. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good at the broadcast. You could improve on the receiving. Dave. I, I, I think when we did that little... Um, the lift, lift little round table. Yeah. Me, Dave, when we did our podcast with Joanne Hessian, she does these little lift round. I shouldn't call them little. These incredible lift round tables where they help you improve to be better leaders. And ironically, she chose the one in leadership or in listening. And I realized after that, I went back to Justine and my wife and I was like, I've been a really bad listener. So, yeah. A good learning. Yeah, yeah. Awareness. Good well, man. Small, a small bit. Um, interaction with others. Yeah, yeah. Love it. More, please. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, love let's, let's yeah, 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 yeah. Anybody else want to talk to me? Here, here. I'm available. But, but ironically, at the other side, like Justine and my wife will always say, you're actually more of an introvert than people even know. And she'd actually classify me more as an introvert than an extrovert. That's only when you're exhausted and yeah. you've just been out wagging your tail to hundreds of people and then you come home and all oh, she'll see well, is Well, Dave, introvert. she is a clinical psychologist, so mm. maybe we're missing something. I think we spend more time with him now. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, Justine, I love you. Yeah. Um, yeah. um attention. Yeah, it can be fleeting. He has attention. <laughs> I do have attention. Can be a bit fleeting at, in certain times, but also can be laser sharp when it needs to be. I think but, when you're interested in something, it's laser sharp. Yeah, yeah. But for example, today we were on a meeting about a software program. Um, and Nico is brilliant he's doing an amazing job but I was totally passenger in it and I fell asleep <laughs> on screen and I felt quite embarrassed well I didn't really actually no, anyway you didn't. You you just just I should have just gone for a walk I would have yeah. been a better use of everyone's time okay and the last one is readiness and punctuality boom yes to both there you go uh, readiness I'm always pretty much up for yeah, yeah, yeah. punctuality yeah largely if it's something if it's something that i know i have to be on time for i'll be totally on time for it but that if it's something that i know true. there's a bit of leeway i'll be like uh, because i'm someone that lives in the edge always in the edge so it's like that five minutes before i'm gonna meet someone's like i'm getting it all done i'm getting it all done and if i can get another five minutes on either side of that edge again i that's fair so yeah but if I know that there's something that I have to be on time, I'll be on time. Your grades will be coming to you now shortly. I well, I think you'll have to listen to the actual podcast. Ah, yeah, no, you got to, it all, to, pretty much, <laughs> to hear how I do. No big surprises there. No. No. Anyway, no. good one. Good crack. That was yeah. Well done. Uh, there was a different type of intro there. Yeah, intro over. Intro over. Now you can okay. talk about the podcast. Okay, this is, this is an ode to vegetables. This is an ode. So for many of you may not realize, we actually have a four acre farm. And I say we meaning the happy pair. And it's been something that's been a dream of the business for years. And a dream largely of our younger brother, Dara, who now who started as the KP, but now runs the company. He's the CEO of the company. And it's always been like the beating heart of, of why he wanted to his impact in the world. Yeah, and we've started now the last number of weeks and today we talked to an incredible human, Charles Dowding. He is he is in his 60s and he's got the childlike wonder of a seven-year-old before Christmas Eve. He's like just, he has these twinkly eyes. He's uh, he's one of, the, one of the kind of founding fathers or one, someone who's kind of very influential within the no-dig farming method, which is, which is, uh, I mean, w- without giving it away, in essence, it's a method that's working with, it's truly elegant, it's simplistic approach, and it's working with the rhythm and working with the biodiversity of nature. Where it's there's less weeding and there's less watering and it's really simple. He says the hardest thing is that people just don't get it because they think it's 
overcome. So he's ri- he's an author of twelve books. He's got half over half a million followers with over fifty million views on a YouTube channel. Yeah, uh, all about gardening and growing vegetables. He's got, he's got oh, more than three hundred thousand followers on Instagram. He is. He is amazing. He runs uh, somewhere between a third and three quarters of an acre in his garden in Somerset. And they grow over three tons of vegetables. Yeah. And it just, it's fascinating. It's incredible for anyone's interested in growing more veg, connecting more to the land and really becoming more connected to ourselves. This is a really important message. And uh, even we get into that, I think growing your own veg is an act of civil disobedience at the moment. Yeah. Oh, there's a squirrel. Wow, cool like squirrel. squirrel. Okay, right. <laughs> anyway, without further ado, we give you the Charles, wonderful Charles, Charles Dedding. Thanks a million. And uh, and and what do you have to eat at the moment? Do you have a lot of food to eat in the garden? Crikey, yeah. Um, like my breakfast was um, beetroot salad with um, walnuts and carrot and garlic and onion. <laughs> Charles wow. Dedding sounds like a very traditional British breakfast. Like <laughs> no porridge for you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love it. Um, yeah, well, let's see Onion, you guys. garlic, beetroot. Wow, that sounds serious. And then what was lunch? Have you had lunch yet? Well, I haven't actually had snacks on a banana, to be honest. That's not very mm. on the garden. <laughs> no, that's right. And no, do, you no. find, do you find this time of year that like most of your food is from the garden? Yeah, I would say about three quarters probably, depending a bit what, how we're doing it. But like particularly when we have courses here and I have a chef here, that's really nice because she cooks up loads of vegetables and then there's leftovers to eat for a couple of days after that. So that's a sure way of getting lots of food. And we've still got like dried beans from last year, polotti beans. Wow. And, you know, they're super tasty and quite filling. Uh, but the one thing, the main food I, I bring in actually is, is rye grain. I, I buy sacks of rye grain and grind it up. I've got a little mill and that makes super fresh sourdough bread. Uh, really tasty because the grain's fresh ground. And I'm just experimenting in the garden with growing some rye just to see if it's just to see how many loaves I can get from a few plants Very of rye. Because I know you've, I've I heard you talk about how that often, you know, and we have a sourdough bakery, so I know lots about the complexity of sourdough and how you can do, you know, 100% hydration and doing serious folds. And you can do a real simple method yeah. where there's no, no kneading method. And I, I, I heard you equate no dig to a no kneading sourdough, a similar method that, Often in society, we can overcomplicate things, often possibly yeah. with not wanting to understand how we control it more. But one of the things that you've, I heard you say is that one of the beauties of no dig and the challenge of it is that it can be quite simple, that you're letting the bacteria do yeah. a lot of the work. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you use the word challenge there because, you know, challenge to be simple. But it is actually because we do, well, I think sort of, it's an automatic reflex but by society almost encourages it to, to complicate things. Partly, I think, because it comes back to that too much respect for authority. I'm always encouraging people to, to you know, to empower themselves with, with trusting themselves, trust their own intuition. And that's why I've made a lot of my really nice discoveries. And you're right, the, the link between no-need bread and no-dig gardening is quite a strong one, I think. <laughs> it really simplifies it. So not only do I not need it, but I don't look after my sourdough starter in any particular way. I just put a bit of the dough from each bake. When I've mixed it all up, I put a bit of dough in a yogurt pot in the fridge. And that stays there until I need it again. I don't do anything to it in between. And that in the winter, that can be a few weeks if I'm not eating a lot of bread. So, yeah, it's just really simple. And that makes life more enjoyable because you're not worrying so much. You know, it's just going with the flow a bit. 
Yeah, it sounds it nice sounds like philosophy. A, I, I, I like it. I like it. Bake, bake a lot of sourdough, and I think like. I totally get it. When when you're like you're you you strike me as someone that's quite you know in the flow of things and kind of just working yeah. with them as they're ready and say, yeah. part of someone who'd bake we'll bake sourdough and we'll bake whatever, you know, <laughs> hundreds of loaves and you have to be quite structured in terms of your feeding time so you know your starter is ready and your mother is ready to kind of do its work and it's going to be ready yeah. in eight hours because you know the temperature and you know the temperature of the water. So at times like that, I know you have to be totally controlled, but I also really admire your method of kind of just. Just yeah, you know, letting it uh, dance and flowing with yeah. it, and the rhythm and being in harmony with it. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, you. But even being structured, you can be in the flow. You know, because you, you know exactly what you're doing, and it all goes beautifully, tick tac tock, and, and everything falls into place. I would say that's going with the flow, as well as being creative when you're not too sure what you're going to do next. <laughs> and that's when it really opens up. And I find that in the garden a lot. Like this morning, we we. You know, it just it came to me. Um, we I had some visitors yesterday afternoon, and we'd been looking at this problem area I've got where I put some fresh, not fresh, three-year-old woodchuck, but a bit too thick, and the potatoes we planted do not like it, and they're looking really poor. And I was like, oh, this is such a waste of space. And then this woman who's studying microbiology, she said, well, I've heard that potatoes particularly don't like woodchuck. And so, oh, right, okay. And she says, why don't you try something else? So and I was looking at it this morning. I thought, right, I've got these cabbage plants there. I'm going to put them in. So we, we've been being creative, basically, just trying some new things all the time. And, and that's what I find makes it so interesting. You know, we, we quite mostly we know the result. We don't get many failures here. But it's always fascinating to be a bit on the edge, trying new things and, and follow those leads that you get all the time. And then that's how we learn. And and I mean, anyone can do that. And I'm noticing quite a bit on YouTube, actually. I, I do like the comments. Uh, well, I get quite a lot. It takes quite a bit of time to reply, but it's worth it because uh, there's a lot of really good stuff going on there in amateur gardens. You know, uh, scientists and paid people researching things, you know, they haven't got the freedom to experiment often compared to people just have, having a go. Yeah, wow. I really admire that about you, that you've been gardening or farming for 40 years and yet you're continue every day's a school day, you're continuously experimenting and you're almost breaking the rules because like many yeah, people I would have see, this. I'd see it like play. I think play. Yeah, you bring a childlike yeah. curiosity and uh, that doesn't yeah. mean to undermine your work in any sense. Uh, it's quite the compliment that you yeah. bring this kind of, this intrigue, this kind of caught Wonder. up in the magic of it all, which is oh, beautiful. Well, I love that. Thank you for saying that. I mean, it's funny actually where that's leading because quite a few children are getting interested in my work now and maybe that's something to do with it you know you're using that word play that's a really good one like i'm writing a book that's coming out next spring no dig for kids and recently i had some kids here with their parents they they asked if they could come on a course they were on holiday locally and i said yeah okay i'm oh, just a nominal fee and the kids came along and we had a great time and they're, they're really interested and i can just see that with they get it no dig is it is like going back to the thing of being simple and, and there's no, no rules it's not literally no rules but a lot of them <laughs> you know throw them out and, it, and you've got that element of enjoyment then um you know for example a really good um example of it is in, in gardening with rotation because i see a lot of people worrying about that this four-year rotation you're supposed to do which actually comes from farming in the 1780s you know hang on a minute that's already 240 years old and that's farming not gardening so how appropriate is it but it's rather slavishly been followed and so i i dare to plant potatoes in the same place and this should appeal to you guys in ireland yeah. <laughs> and so lovely potatoes they're now growing in the eighth year in the same bed and they look healthier than ever actually 
and we'll be harvesting them in about three weeks. I'm really fascinated to see what's there. And not only am I not rotating there, I'm keeping my own seed, which you're also supposed not to do. And I, I do get some of the reasons for that. But if you see your potato plants looking healthy, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't save some seed from them. You know, it's, obviously, if they look diseased or particularly virus, not so much blight, but it would be a virus where the leaves go bright yellow, then don't save the seed. But even blight, you know, you could still get some healthy potatoes that blight probably won't have survived. Well, that's another story. But anyway, you get the idea. You know, it just gives you yeah, a lot yeah. of freedom. Totally. And do, you, and do you save seed? Like, do you like saving your, you know, like, a, like certainly. Yeah. A lot of home gardeners will always buy seed. You know, you'll go and you'll buy new seed yeah. every year. And yeah. I know like like in Ireland, there's a seed savers, you know, place where you can buy old seeds. And a lot of people, you know, I've certainly bought seeds off them before. But like, you, yeah. do you save your seed year on year and use them? Well, put it this way, I'll do my best. <laughs> it's actually not that easy a thing. And I've only done beetroot for the first time last year. And so far, the results have been really good. Um, but I was showing on a video recently my leeks that I'm keeping for seed and there's about 12 leek plants there and this guy from the seed trader knew his stuff he said mm. he said you need more like 40 <laughs> for certain vegetables you need a lot you need to grow a lot to have enough of a gene pool to get good cross-pollination uh, otherwise you get inbreeding so there's actually quite a bit to know about keeping seed and just because something is home safe doesn't necessarily make it good and so I'm learning all that. But if, if anyone's listening, I could, would say that the easiest vegetables to save seed from are well, French beans and tomatoes, because both of those, you need just one plant and uh, a peas, the other one. By the time you, your crop is ready, you're not far from the stage where you can save seed. So if you've got a nice pea plant at the moment, uh, just one of them, don't pick it. And, and then, you, you know, let it mature and you've got some pea seed. And do the same with some French beans if you're growing them a bit further into the summer. And with tomatoes, just keep your nicest tomato, <laughs> as long as it's not a hybrid. So, yeah, there's a lot. that I like that because that's empowering as well. You know, that gives, feel, you feel like you've got more, more power over it. And a lot of seeds we buy, they're quite old, uh, in my experience. I've had quite a few problems with seeds. Not all of them, but, you know. <laughs> I suppose you've seen it all. Um, I wonder, Charles, if we could talk about no dig because it's something that's quite like we've mm. had a fruit and veg shop for almost 18 years and we've had a, a sprout farm for 10 years and now we have a four acre organic farm that's we're growing regenerative. So we're practicing no just dig. Just starting. We've just we're, we started. We're eight weeks into it. But um, I, I wonder if you could talk for most people there. They'll know what organic is, but no, no dig is kind of to many is a new concept. But and I shouldn't say but, and it's remarkably working in harmony with nature. I wonder if you could just talk soil. about it. Soil. soil, I'd love to hear you talk about soil because I think that's what it probably comes back to. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I joined the Soil Association in 1981 and I, I noticed that they weren't talking a lot about soil at that time. <laughs> so I thought, hang on a minute. And that, that's always been my passion and that interest in nutrition, actually, and, and being vegetarian, that led me to... Want, wanted to get more healthy soil, which led me to no dig. But in those days, not many people were doing it. And I, I did it anyway, but I didn't really understand what I was doing. I just did it. And it, I saw very well that it worked. And the biggest benefit was few weeds. And, you know, when you see that, it's like, who wouldn't like that? <laughs> and I hope that you will notice that as well yourselves. It depends a bit how you start out. Um, instantly, what, what is your climate like? How much rain are you getting? You know, I'd say it's similar to yours. We're a little bit further north, but we're like, we're in very similar latitude to Somerset. Like we're in Wicklow, like 30 kilometers south of Dublin. 
Oh, you're in Wicklow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah so we're probably very similar latitude. I went to Kilruddery once. Yeah, we're we're literally like five miles. We're like we can run to Kilruddery. No, I'm Yeah, yeah. Where you are then? Yeah. Oh yeah, so you're yeah you're not dissimilar to here. Probably just a tad cooler, but yeah, nice climate. I would say um, you'll still have some slugs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is why um, with my no, no dig, I, the, the first book I read about it was by an American woman, and she was advocating mulches of hay, and so that's what I did in my first spring. And I thought, right, this will sort out because what I was conscious of was that so many growers at that time, organic growers, were just besieged by weeds. They had could not control the weeds. And and they were maybe cropping two acres, which is a lot of ground. Uh, you know, I'm cropping here only a third of an acre and getting a lot from it. Uh, but I'd always recommend that, you know, not take on too much, uh, depending what you're growing a bit, but even so. So they were growing a lot and then they couldn't control the weeds and, and life was not good and harvests were not so brilliant. So that was my main determination to have few weeds. And when I started, it was on one and a half acres. I reckon that one person can manage one and a half acres of ground, uh, depending a bit how much, how intensively you're going to crop. Because what actually what takes a lot of time is not so much the growing, but the picking, the harvesting. <clears throat> and like we're doing a lot of salad, salad leaves here, and and that's a lot of picking time because we we're going back to the same plants time and again up to eight, ten, twelve times. And so for a small area of ground, you're getting a lot of food, but you need to put in quite a bit of time to harvest it. So it doesn't sound spectacular, you know, I'm not doing acres and acres, but having said that, we're producing a lot of food. So all those parameters come into play. And I, I, I presume you're not cropping four acres. You've got four acres. Or perhaps yeah, you yeah, we, yeah, we have four acres. At the moment, I think initially we're just starting with two acres. Oh, we're, we're just getting going. Like we're like a bunch of kids having a ball. Chris obviously <laughs> has a has a serious master plan and so does Dara, but... We're, okay. we're we're trying to make the have a learn as much and grow as much and enjoy it as much. That's the name of the game. And maybe. we're fortunate in that we have a cafe and a restaurant and a veg shop, so we've yeah. outlets for the vegetables in any shape or size are more than welcome. Well, there you've closed, you've squared the circle there because selling for, for me, selling is the difficult part. You know, if I had some something like you guys up the road or had my own cafe, then yeah, that would be a lot simpler. And actually. We serve a lot of my vegetables on the, the day courses here for lunch, and that that's I love that because <laughs> I know that whatever I bring in the kitchen, you know, it'll get turned into something really nice. But I find chefs quite difficult. And generally, I don't know. I think they find it easier to prep um, bought-in very regular vegetables uh, compared to mine. And the the one thing I can sell to local chefs is is salad bags, bags of mixed salad leaves. Uh, so that's something we really concentrate on. Um, but two acres, uh, you, you could grow a lot of food. Um, take my hat off to you. Um, I, I hope you're going to manage to grow quite a bit of food for winter. I presume you'll do some for storing like potatoes and carrots and things like that and beetroot. I think, I think we're figuring out it this year. I think we're not so much potatoes and carrots or potatoes and carrots because we figured we'd start with the salad leaves, the tomatoes, the cucumbers, the courgettes um, and, and the leaves. Squash. And like it's we, we started kind of a bit late in the season, you know, we only kind of got running. So we're 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 yeah. making it up as we go along to some degree to try to get the most out of the sun while it's here. Yeah, no, that does make sense. And also, that's higher value stuff that'll be great for your cafe, isn't it? Cucumbers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that that you can sow now. You uh, you can still sow beetroot now. I can imagine that would be a big one for your your dishes. Yeah, beetroot. Yeah. 
um, bulb fennel and kohlrabi and carrots. You can still sow carrots, um, spring onions. Uh, you know, so there's a lot you can still sow. Wow. As well. And and what about like like that's the one thing like we like our our cafe is like plant based. They've been vegans, you know. And the one thing which you kind of typically have to import is beans. Like we use lots of beans and chickpeas and legumes. Like, do you find much success in growing them? Because you know the way, like you can eat loads of veg and make loads of ratatouilles and all this, but like beans add more volume. They add more fiber. There's more starch and calories in them. How do you find with that? And what about nuts? Like I, I went the other night, I, I walked across to neighbor's house and they've got an incredible garden and they were growing almonds. I couldn't believe it. Like in Greystones, they had an almond tree. And they had like 60 almonds last year. And this year they only had like 18 almonds or something. Each one accounted for. Each of them accounted for. Each had a personal name. But they were growing almonds in Greystones. And I couldn't believe it. I was just amazed. So almonds and legumes, what do you reckon? Or nuts and legumes. They're higher calorie foods, plant foods. Yeah, I get that. Um, I would just say about the almonds though. It's probably because you've got not much late frost. You're you're quite mild, aren't you? Um, Yeah. Here it wouldn't work. We, I find tried things like that. I can't grow figs here either because they always get a late frost in May on the little figlets. It's really disappointing. And I've tried things like lentils and chickpeas. And you've got to be careful how you phrase it. You know, I can grow lentils, I can grow chickpeas, but is it worth it? No. <laughs> like from four lentil plants, I got 200 grams, and it took about wow. two hours. You know, it's like that bit like you're saying about the almonds. You almost name them, and <laughs> they're too precious to eat. <laughs> But yeah. and the beans, the beans should be possible for you, but you need to sow them undercover, at, you know, bang on time. You need the whole season. In our latitude, um, they need every little bit of growing time and weather. So I sow mine uh, 8th of May. And you could probably sow them a bit earlier, actually, because your last frost is a bit sooner than here. So I, I would sow them late April, transplant outside middle of May, and then just keep them growing. You might even want to put fleece over to start with. Uh, so that they really get going. And then they've got to grow and grow and grow and grow all through the summer. And here we don't harvest until early October. And it can be quite damp by then. So you know, I'm, I'm pointing the difficulties of it here. I don't want to make it sound easy because it's it's not. But if you hit a good summer, it is. Uh, but if you hit a good summer, you can get a really worthwhile harvest. But if, if it's a damp summer and a damp autumn, that's, you know, you could put a lot of work in and not get very much just so you know. And will you yeah. dry them in their pods? Oh, sorry, Steve's that one says. No, no, I, I was just wondering more for anyone listening who isn't familiar with No Dig, just to get back to it and how sorry. it differs from... No, 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 because I, I love getting caught in the weeds. Oh, I want to go into the weeds. I know you do. I, you but keep I think, bringing it back up to the... Well, many people listening don't even know what No Dig is. So I think it's good to start with that okay. before. Like, I, I, I would love to hang out and talk I would love about to the just weeds and vegetables. <laughs> but I just wonder if you could differentiate how... And I yeah. thought this was beautiful... In much of modern day society, we divide, there's organic farming, which is farming within the systems of nature. And then there's what many people call conventional farming, which is typically sprayed with pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, etc. And this is deemed conventional. This is the norm. Yet, I think I've heard you beautifully say that. I think that's so wrong. And I wonder if you could talk about that. Yeah, totally. Okay. So that word conventional, if you look it up, it means normal and natural. I mean, what the hell? How come? It's it's for organic people's fault. They've they've accepted that classification of words. And I said to Patrick Holden about it actually in the nineteen no in two thousand. He was director of Soil Association. I said you shouldn't be allowing this. You should be calling those guys chemical farmers. And he said, yeah, but we've got to maintain a dialogue with them. You know, we want to convert them. 
that doesn't work. They, you know, so um, it's the wrong wording. And organic, what organic means is is just farming and gardening. And the next step from that is no dig, because even with organic, you can be rotivating your soil. And if you're doing that, well, what are you doing? You're killing a lot of wildlife. You know, I thought organic was about preserving wildlife. And back in the 80s when I started, you know, pretty well everyone was rotivating in the organic world. And we didn't really think about it. You know, I'd use it sometimes, use the rotivator. So no dig, <laughs> you are preserving all that soil ecology. And it all begins from there. And that means you've got the soil on your side because in, in the soil that you, we can't see, we can't see all the beauty, the beautiful process that's going on there. All these, you know, the mycorrhizal network, for example, which I've come to think of as an existing root system. It's a root system already there. So when we put seeds or plants in the soil, the little roots that our seeds or plants start to send out immediately or very quickly team up with this network that's already in place. And that's like gives the roots access to huge areas of soil, just like that. And the mycelia can get into cavities that plant roots can't penetrate to even to find moisture. So that's another reason I reckon why no dig's very good on moisture, because it's not only conserving of moisture through not having disturbed the soil and released water by evaporation, but it's enabling the process that we can't see to extract water for plant roots just to find it. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of trust because <laughs> all of this is happening out of sight. But, but you see it, and I get this feedback all the time, you know, people just say the plants look great, they look so healthy. Um, it's, it's easy because you've got healthier plants. And I think also you've got um, better nutrition in your plants because you've got all those super healthy microbes that you haven't disturbed. I mean, that whole side of nutrition, it's fascinating, isn't it? You know, that it's just coming out now. It's not only about fat and protein and carbohydrate and trace elements. It's about the living part of soil that we eat. And I reckon that anybody growing food like you guys, serving food from your new farm, you'll be giving extra health to your customers because they are automatically getting those wonderful microbes that are coming fresh from your field. And you know, especially if you don't wash it too much, <laughs> you serve your carrots with a bit of soil. And I'm saying that slightly as a joke, but you know, the, there is that old saying, um, we should all eat a peck of soil in our lifetime. <clears throat> and I looked it up the other day, a peck is something like nine liters. You know, I wow. used to, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, actually I, I deliberately recently, I've been making more effort to eat soil. Um, not a lot, but just, I'm not being clean i'll pull a carrot out wipe it on my trousers and eat it and there's often a bit of soil in there i'm fine i'm feeling really good actually in fact you know i even feel like i'm feeling better now than i did 10 years ago and um obviously i'm getting older but i've got good energy and on on youtube quite often i'm asked you know what are you on <laughs> what, what have you been drinking or are you on drugs or whatever and i say it's just the microbes i think you know the, there's, the there's actually, yeah there's one called um bacillum vacca um, V-A-C-C-A and um, that, that's and another one tryptophan actually both of those uh, are needed by the brain oh sorry by the gut to produce serotonin in the brain so they're both kind of missing links if you haven't got them so it enables your body to produce more serotonin which is the feel good mood factor and so I there you go 
Do you I love that. And also, also all minerals grow in the soil, like all calcium. Like people go, oh, where do I get more calcium? My bones, like haven't brought right. my bones. Like all minerals come from the soil. So like I would imagine the healthier the soil, the more minerals such as calcium and magnesium and iron will be readily available within the soil. And similarly, it's yeah. uh, I always love like we tend to think of the, the most advanced technologies in our society. We think, oh, it's electric cars or it's photosynthesis or it's rockets or it's like the latest whatever a phone or gadget or whatever it is but soil is one of the most diverse i guess ecological systems within the planet as in one tablespoon of soil has more biodiversity than humans that have ever existed so there's this supposedly supposedly you know i'm not a scientist but i've read about it and i think like the fact that you talked about no dig where part of what you're doing is you're not turning the soil and by not turning the soil you're allowing I'm just going to recap here just to make sure I'm getting it correctly, is the idea that when you sow a plant in the soil and it hasn't been turned, it has the ability to to connect into the mycorrhizal or into the mycelium network, which is kind of like, it's often, you can't see it. It's like this little white, tiny little light white tentacles. And this is like, almost like, without sending weird, it's like a highway system where they can, they can kind of trade and get more minerals and access different little bits within the soil. Whereas when you rotivate it, you're breaking up that mycelium network and you're breaking up those networks. Yeah. And you know, there's a saying actually in the farming world here, which is chickweed follows the rotivator. Do you know chickweed? It's a... Yeah. 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 I was picking it on Saturday. Picking it on Saturday. Picking loads of it. Because you eat it. Uh, well, at the time we were, no, we weren't, we were just picking it, picking it and throwing okay, it in the so, hedge, throwing it in the, the hedge. The thing about it is though that chickweed follows the rotivator. If you, if you pull a chickweed plant up, the, uh, if it's growing as a weed, you'll notice it's got very wiry, fine roots, which really cling onto the soil. And so it's part of the soil healing process after a rotivation. Rotivator is a really violent tool to soil it smashes it into little pieces, really destructive of, of existing structure and process. And so the soil responds, it, you know, it's got to heal. And that's the, what I reckon is the reason why you don't get many weeds with no dig, because you haven't disturbed the soil, it doesn't need to heal. Weeds are part of the healing process. So if you've got a lot of weeds, firstly, that's a sign that you've probably disturbed your soil too much. Not always, you might just have to be unlucky and have loads of weeds blowing in. But another factor is that each weed you know, does have a little story to tell, and there's a reason why it's there. And then that gets really interesting too. Um, the only one I haven't figured out is bindweed, <laughs> convolvulus. Why is that there? I don't know. Is that the sticky one? <laughs> it's no, it's the one that's you know, very deep roots, and you, you just can't get it out, so it's perennial weed. If you don't have it, then fine, you, it's really easy. Um, you know, Generally, weeding with no dig is really easy. It's the one big job you don't have to worry about. Uh, I look at photos of your farm and it looks, it's that, or like your garden. It's like perfect. Like there's, it's not like, you know, you imagine no dig, it's going to be, oh, it's some like kind of like oasis of like just vegetation everywhere. But you look at it and it's like, it's beautifully organized to some kind of organized accountant or someone that's very rational and organized. It just looks like nine bean rows and a high for the honey bee. Like it's really perfect little, you know, it's, it's well, pretty you, that's probably me. I, I really... I find it a lot easier to work with that level of, of of order, if you like. But it's within a system and the soil which is totally natural and buzzing and and you know just vibrating the whole time, if you like. You know, so it's 
it's working alongside nature in, in, in an ordered way, I would say, but it's not imposing too much. You know, a lot of the, the whole thing about digging and plowing or rotating and tilling the soil, I think, comes from Victorian times. And, you know, that when people, thanks to the Industrial Revolution, men particularly really felt they had dominion over nature and could exercise it, you know, looking at the philosophy of it all. And, and I think that's one reason why people find it hard to leave it behind, because they got so used to that kind of mindset. And we, we have to accept that we, we do need to find our food, <laughs> you know, and we need to grow it. So we can impose some order on nature, but the, we've got to work within those parameters. And that's beautifully where no dig comes in, because it opens up so many other possibilities, like the no rotation thing, spend less time weeding, then you can be more creative, uh, all those other lovely ways to grow food. And you, I heard you say that um, often when people rotivate, there's the idea that through rotivation and through our own manual labor, we can create more soil health. Yeah. Whereas by leaving yeah. it, you're allowing the microbes, which are the specialists yeah. of this, just to do their work with which they're 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 far superior than we are. Because often by opening up the soil, you're releasing the moisture, you're releasing the trapped carbon, and you're also exposing it to the topsoil being eroded. Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely thought, isn't it? That leads to an interesting point, actually. If anyone's gardening on a slope, the the best way to run your beds is up and down. Uh, traditionally, it's been, or you know, recently, it's been recommended that you 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 go across the slope to reduce erosion. But with no dig, because you haven't loosened the soil in any way, it's much more stable. And I found that running my beds up and down actually just means if, if there is an excess of water it will run down the pathway it won't take all the soil with it the beds remain pretty much untouched and you know it's just a, an example of how when you switch um method so going from digging to no dig you you need to rethink a lot of things uh, in a nice way <laughs> most of them is time saving I want. I want. I, I. I'd love to bring this to a topic which, like, you've got such bright, shiny eyes. Like, obviously, people are listening to this. You've got like a twinkle in your eye, like a five-year-old, and it's his birthday. Like, it's like Christmas Eve. Like, you really are. You're like, you're so vibrantly alive, and it's beautiful. It's glorious to see. And I wonder, um, could you talk? Like, recently, we've become aware that, like, okay, uh, like as a, as if you know, the leading, the kind of typical industrial nations, the first world countries, Europe, America, all these, most of us are spending a lot of time indoors. We're on computers. We're like, we're busy. We're on it. We're doing things. We're like, you know, we're urbanites. Like we really are. We're like, we're on the, a lot of us are in the hamster wheel, us included. Like, you know, we're part of the system as well. And I wonder what you, like you've had 40 years with your hands in the soil, concerned about the weather, mullocking around, worried about mulch, and compost and roots and very different things. And obviously you've got social media and all that kind of thing going on as well, but like you're very connected to the land. And I wonder if you could talk almost like at a philosophical level, like just the connection between yourself and the land and what you kind of observe with current culture. And it's a very big topic now, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I feel really blessed actually, because as you say, I've, I have been very connected <laughs> to the soil for a long time. And for about half of that time, I, I was unsure why. Uh, you know, what was my life purpose? I do feel like I a sense of mission. And I felt I'd lost it a bit when I was in my 40s. And I, my, my produce was not selling particularly well. And it just seemed like, why am I doing this market gardening? Um, it wasn't being economically valued, which means... That reflects back on on the grower. You know, you you feel un, unvalued in your work. So it's like, 
well, I even thought about changing career. I trained briefly as a kinesiologist and did a few other things. But thank goodness I came back to it because it wasn't long after that I, I wrote my first book and that opened up the, uh, a whole audience. I could see there was huge interest out there. And so that's what's powered me to maintain um, my, my vigor, I guess. You know, that, that connection now with the world is much stronger than it was because just being being on my own, um, obviously I had my family around me, but, you know, in my work, in, in the garden with the soil, that, yeah, that, that gave me an energy, but it, it wasn't quite enough. I think we need both. We need, we need that as the, the grounding element. Uh, which it totally is. And, and I found now that I can do about half a day outside and the other half day I'm on the computer. I mean, I've written 12 books now and uh, in the time in the last 15 years, as well as, you know, annual calendar, website, <laughs> videos, just everything. So I'm doing a lot, lot of computer work. But I reckon anybody doing that amount of screen work, if you've got the earth connection, that will keep you going. And I think it's really important to, if, if anyone hasn't got that, I think you are going to struggle a bit uh, to maintain health in this very digital age. It's not, as you say, it's not innately a healthy existence. I mean, it's wonderful. I love it that we can talk like this. Don't you think, you know, it's just, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I can almost feel like you guys are in the same room. Uh, I'm getting a really good sort of feeling of empathy there. Uh, but it's obviously not quite the same as being, being in the room. But having said that, you know, we, we can do all that. It's brilliant. But we don't, don't want to get so sucked into it that we forget we need that earth connection and getting soil in your fingernails and then scratching your head, you know, whatever it might be, you're, you're spreading those micros and bacteria around. Don't be too squeaky clean in your house. I'm not saying be dirty by any means, but, you know, it's just that thing. Of, um, it really upset me with COVID actually. And, you know, the, there was that emphasis on, on super cleanliness and people washing their hands all the time. I'm sure that was making it worse. You know, we need this base level of microbes all around us. And it's, it's fascinating too. The if you look at the whole history of health and disease and or how it's defined currently, uh, we've pretty much gone down the road of how Louis Pasteur defined it. And he he said the body is a sterile organ which needs protection from external things trying to um, infect us, like uh, microbes, viruses, germs, bacteria. And he had a rival guy with a different scientific way of thinking at the time. Ah, whose name it escapes me, but it was called the microzymian approach, where his idea was the, that's right, it was Antoine Deschamps. He said, the body is a collection of microbes. Get this. And he said, our, our organism, our health, is all about maintaining the balance of microbes. That is us. That's what defines us as a being. We're not a kind of sterile, enclosed being. We're we're a collection of microbes open to all the other microbes outside us, you know, whatever microbes are. You know, have fun defining that as well. But that that's what that leads you, if you accept that definition, which I do, because it makes sense, because then it's empowering. Because then we we, whatever we are, <laughs> something in our head, brain, mind, uh, spirit, we we're the, the the person, the being which controls our microbial balance and, and we can maintain and improve even our health. And then you start looking at health as a positive state. And this is what's so different and what's really got lost, I think, in, in modern society and, and this background assumption is really dangerous because it leads you to, to, to see disease as powerful and something that can come and get you. Whereas if you are healthy, you you, you don't need to worry about it. Um, you know, that's another health giver is, is re re reduce the worry element. 
and you can build positive health. And in fact, even in 1940s, uh, Eve Balfour, who founded the Soil Association, uh, came out with this lovely statement. And she said, health is as infectious as disease. <laughs> and it's like, oh, why not? You know, it's like health as a positive state. And, and that, that you can take that from personal level, us people, uh, into the garden as well, into the farm. Um, you know, healthy soil, healthy plants, healthy animals, healthy people. It, that is empowering. We all really need that at the moment. I hope your listeners really, really can resonate with that and, and go with it because we, we, well, I said it, we need it. I love, I love that because even I always loved there was this um, well known gastroenterologist, uh, Dr. Robin Chutkan, and she. She originally, through studying medicine, she had this similar idea that that's kind of need for sterility. And as she started to study microbiology, she realized that, oh, my God, I got it wrong. I got to start to she kind of coined the phrase. I got to live, dirty live clean, eat, clean, eat dirty. Live dirty. No, li eat clean, live dirty. So trying to expose <laughs> herself to more bacteria, trying to not necessarily not be clean, but to like kind of expose yeah. herself to more animals, to not sh not shower every day, you know, maybe make it every second day. And, I and, that and, and even when you think about it, like, you know, as another friend is a ga uh, like a gut doctor, uh, Dr. Allen, Dan, Dr. Allen, he says, like, if you're scared of bacteria, you're on the wrong planet, like, because there's bacteria <laughs> everywhere. Like, it, there is just, it's everywhere. We have so much bacteria in every component of our cells. And it's such yeah. a symbiosis. And it's amazing that the soil is almost like the root of the microorganisms and the bacteria that yeah. like, and, and maybe that's why, you know, they, they you know, obviously during COVID, there was people talking about like kneading bread was the new Prozac baking bread. But I think soil is, soil is even more like, it's like, you yeah. know, there's, there's, there's an even more like a therapeutic effect of getting your hands in all those microbes and getting exposed. Now, I'm, I'm gone, gone a bit woo-woo here now because I don't have any science to validate it in our Western scientific mind world. But uh, that would be my own gut sense. But, but I also think like we're, we're very much like we're human beings, but we've become human doings. And I think the more we can spend time oh, yeah. within the rhythm, but the more we can spend time within the rhythms of nature, you know, like if you're in London, I know we often go over to London and it just has this pulse of like, of kind of adrenaline and it's like you need caffeine to like tune into this just wild exciting feeling but if you go out to the middle of nature it's calm it's peaceful suddenly it's much easier to breathe deeply and I think if you put your hand in the soil it's even more it's like you're plugging yourself into this like softer rhythm I wonder if you could talk briefly around yeah totally idea. you know we, we, this, we could talk a lot about this because it's so interesting that difference between how plants grow for example and how we have economic growth and how we move things around and how nature moves things around and nature does it very quietly like you say you know you, you never hear a plant grow for example you never hear a tree grow um, but there's all that amazing process going on and there was, there was a beautiful um work by victor schauberger who was an austrian forester about 100 years ago and he made a lot of discoveries about how water works. And um, he invented copper tools, actually, because he said they're much less invasive of soil energies and those kinds of things. And he um, he called it imploding as opposed to uh, traditional society's method of, of making things uh, work, which is explosion. You know, even in the internal combustion engine, it's, it's a controlled explosion, if you like. And, and he reckoned that there must be ways. He did invent the flying saucers, actually, apparently. That's quite secret, I think. Um, but, you know, very quiet forms of movement are possible. And that's doing it in a very different way. So, yeah, there you go. That, that's an example. I think there's loads of things to discover still about that. Um, if only we could. 
Wow. Yeah, totally. totally Beautiful. Great. Okay, right. I'm going to bring it in a different direction now. So where? So you've been, like, your homemakers, is it, as you said, it's about a third of an acre that you're... Three quarters yeah, of an acre. Three quarters. I don't know. No, it's... it's, it's, it's it's yeah. it's it's uh, you call it a garden anyway, and you do yeah. no dig. And I'm wondering where does the distinction between like a garden and a farm start? And are there some examples of people using no dig and the same principles as you, like on larger scale? And like I'm also fascinated with your views on current food production because most of us just go into the supermarket, we buy produce, we don't really blink about where it's from, we don't even think about the farm. We're just in a rush to get our stuff, and like. They're, they're most likely coming from, you know, monocropping, industrial, you know, chemical farming, as you called it. And okay. my question okay, is like massive. Oh, yeah, I'm going to yeah. shut up now. <laughs> no, it's because you can't ask you more questions. And I was forgetting the first one. <laughs> but yeah, your first one's great. Like, what's the difference between a garden and a farm? That's really important because for me, a, a garden is what we can do ourselves. And that's the empowering one. If you can get your hands on a bit of land and start creating the means to grow food that not only will that nourish you but it empowers you and it gives you these micros we've been talking about so that's great on all levels then as we go up the scale you're getting more towards what i would call farming what i think you reckon is farming but it's no it's no clear-cut division what i've noticed in the usa for example talking to people on youtube they they use that word farm for even quite small gardens that even you've got a, a a couple of beds in your in front of your house they'll call that a farm Sorry, that's just language confusion. Uh, in, 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 in my eyes, a farm is a much bigger operation where people are doing it for purely commercial reasons. Not to say that's wrong, uh, but, you know, to make a living, if you like. Uh, and that's the difference, I would say, between farming and gardening. And that's why in gardening, you've got much more freedom to be creative and expressive and to grow healthily because you are in control of the process. And you've hopefully got a bit of other income. It's not your only way of earning food. I mean, that's been a big one for me. Trying to make my market garden pay over the years has been really difficult. I was fortunate to have some inherited income to start with. And now I've got other sources of income, which basically enable me to fund my market garden. It feels the wrong way around. You know, it feels like I'm subsidizing growing food. Um, food's undervalued. And I say that to anyone listening, um, you might not believe it if you're buying, but if you're selling, if you're a market gardener, you'll know that very well. It's really hard to make a living selling food unless you maybe add value like you guys are doing in your cafe, for example. And the whole difference between food you grow and food you buy uh, is terrible. I mean, that that bottom line is we've, we've all got to grow more food. Over the years, I've been working, you know, like um, – in the 1980s, I worked quite a bit with Soil Association, and we had a thing called the Organic Growers Association, and we were campaigning for the government to be more sympathetic to the organic approach and fund it a bit, make it more practical, you know, help organic growers. And Prince Charles weighed in. He was great for a while, and that, and that was good. And nothing happened, though. It's like, you know, you talk to politicians, and they, they'll sort of say, yeah, okay, yeah, we, we can do this, that, and the other, but they never do it. And, and you know, they're... They just say things. I mean, that seems to me the art of politics is just keeping everybody happy, but you carry on doing what you want to do or what they want to do. And and that's sort of, for me, that's what I call the top-down approach, uh, where you, you're talking about changing things from above, you know, measures, um, politics, a, a bill, a, a transformation by decreeing something. <laughs> I reckon powerful change comes from below, bottom up. And that's why I'm putting all my energy now into talking to people, gardeners, 
on the ground. Soil, bottom I'm trying up to inspire, the soil. Yeah, exactly. Inspire yeah, everyone to start a garden and to get their hands in the soil and grow their own food. A simple act of yeah. civil disobedience. Yeah. Grow your own food. Be, Be the rebel. revolution. <laughs> can, can, can I talk briefly just about, so, so we've been involved in food production for almost 20 years now. And I remember a couple of years ago, we were invited out. We were a part of a kind of advertising campaign and we were brought out to a farm and I was so excited. It was like, Dave, we're going to eat like our weight in berries and we're going to eat like, I'm going to come home having eaten 15 kilos of tomatoes. I cannot wait. And I skipped into the farm and we ran around like two little... There's a few different farms. Yeah, a few little farms that day. But I remember <laughs> leaving them feeling slightly... in a, a feeling of dismay and a sadness because when I spent time there none of the vegetables were grown in soil. They were grown in coconut coir, it was called. And none of them were actually, they were all had little kind of chemical, like they all had um, feeds going. feeds into them that came back to a central oh, wow. computer. And it was really, it, it was, it was rather than it be what the way I had seen a farm, it felt more like a computer system whereby they were, controlling the color of the tomato they were controlling you know the ripeness the sweetness and it was all kind of using the npk the, the it was of, incredible it was it, incredible as well yeah sorry i should but it also that. was kind of there was this there was it left a kind of emptiness kind of going oh wow this is purely like it's it's like almost like a symptom of our culture where like looks yeah. and appearance is almost given weight to the deeper morals in, in some cases. And it seemed like, you know, you were growing the prettiest, biggest, heaviest looking fruit without kind of looking at how do we grow the most nutritious one that tastes the best. And it was, and it was a laboratory, not a farm. That, that, that's the there you go. Yeah, that, that, that's one but way that, that seems it. more and more pervasive, though. Yeah, it is. And that's why, how are we going to get away from that? You, your government are not going to do it for us. Uh, we can only do it ourselves. And, and we've got to. So somehow... All of us have to find more access to land and grow, grow more of our own food. I actually do. I'll put in a little mention here. for We, we, we give donations. Um, I've, I've got people join on my YouTube. Um, they pay £5 a month. and I've got a, enough to give some money to groups. In fact, funny enough, we just sent some money today to a, a, a community garden in Kerry. And wow. to, to help them buy some compost. And, and that gives me great pleasure to do that. If anybody... Um, they can email me through the website, the contact on the website. You know, we'd love to help you because just getting that first little initial investment, that can make a big difference. Get hold of some compost. I, we, I don't, how have we got to this point of the podcast and not mention that word compost? <laughs> okay, great. Let's, okay, okay, let's okay, talk let's about compost. To, what is compost? What role does compost play? And is compost something that I is buy in just a garden soil? shop that comes in a big plastic bag? What's the difference between <laughs> compost manure and like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, these words and are really humus. Confusing. Humus or hummus? Hummus? Do I put hummus in my bread or humus in my bread? <laughs> okay, so compost is anything decomposed. Let's not be too dogmatic about it. See, it's literally anything. Could be old animal manure. Manure becomes compost in the end. So don't manure get is just poo. Manure is just animal poo, isn't that right? Yeah, and that, that, if it's fresh, then it's poo. But if you put it in a pile and let it decompose, then it becomes compost. And manure itself varies according to what the animal might have been sleeping on or living on you know if it's straw that's actually the easiest one to make nice compost from manure or if it's wood chip that takes a bit longer all, the, all those variations within those two words and you can also make your own compost from a, have a compost toilet in your garden that's what we've got here so you, we urinate on hay or straw and that soaks it up we put that on the compost heap and then we have a pulu on the other side which we mix a bit of wood, wood shavings and that turns into lovely compost as well so there's many ways of making compost and to make a, a decent amount, you need to be a scrounger. 
So go out and grab other people's waste. There's a lot of it around when you start looking or cut a roadside verge or whatever it might be. And once you've got a decent amount of compost, you can really, you know, you can do some serious growing. Because <laughs> the heat it generates, I'm amazed that like we were weeding the other day, just the front garden or the front like driveway. And I we piles of weeds, like it was just a little weeds. And I was amazed that I was clearing them out the other day and they'd been sitting there for two weeks, like, and the heat in them. And they meant to yeah. rotting in two weeks from the, the rain, the sun, and the actual, like, just the decomposition. Like, it happened. It's such an incredible process that generates heat. And yeah. I, I don't know how long it takes to turn, like, yeah. leaves and organic matter into into compost or into, like, growing membrane. Well, well it can be as, as little as three months, actually. But I'd recommend longer because it can look ready before it is. And what, what happens over time um, when you've made your compost, it, it looks good, but it'll build the microbial content. This is in my view from, from my experience. Um, and I reckon between six months and a year is a really good time to use it from the date you started making your heap. And it's one of the gardening practices and processes that I've noticed people really, really enjoy. If you haven't done it yet, do have a go. Um, and don't be disappointed if you don't make perfect compost, but you'll probably make it better than you thought you might. And, and it's fun because you, you feel in control of this amazing process in nature where waste materials turn into something beautiful and really useful. That's empowering. It's the ultimate recycling. Rich. And what, what, what role does compost play then in the no-dig farming method? Because I know okay. it's fundamental to it and many people don't understand it. Many people listen and go, okay, no-dig sounds great. How do I what do I start? Do I've got this. I've got some grass that I cut and I'm sick of cutting them. It's June. It keeps growing back up. What do I do? Like how would I just start it? Right. So <laughs> right, six questions there. Um firstly, just to nail one one common assumption, which is people say um that no, you need a lot of compost for no dig. You you actually don't need any more compost to do no dig than you do digging growing, if you like. Because if you're going to dig up your soil, you need organic matter to feed the soil microbes, especially you need more actually to feed back all the stuff you've broken. So we, I run a dig, no dig, two trial beds side by side. And the, the bed I dig every December gives 10% less food for the same amount of compost, which I'll put it another way around, no dig for the same amount of compost, you get 10% more food. So that's already a win, uh, together with all the less weeding and less watering. But to start a compost heap, um, and you've got all that grass, like you say, especially at this time of year, uh, what you need is something to balance it. It's very difficult to make compost just from loads of grass and green matter and weeds. A bit of soil actually will help. So that's why weeds can be good. They've often got a bit of soil on the roots. Uh, so you've got some spare soil anywhere. We could find some. Just adding that to your grass will help. But also old woody material. Uh, so that's paper, cardboard, um, woody bits of any kind, prunings. If you're cutting hedges, um, and you want them in small pieces, the woody bits. So what we do is if we're trimming a hedge, we'll put it on, on the ground in a line and run the lawnmower over the top. The lawnmower is a mobile shredder. It chops it up into small pieces. That mixes very nicely with the grass that we're also cutting. And that heats up really fast, actually. And we get compost within, yeah, three months. That's just one example. At this time of year, um, go for it. <laughs> wow. And do you find do you not, uh, do you find you don't have to buy compost anymore because you're just all over it? Like you're just a king of making it work and go and finding waste, other people's uh, yeah, waste. Okay. One person's waste well, is another person's gold. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm still buying compost for two reasons. One is that I'm, I'm taking a new ground. And I find that when I start making beds, that's why I was saying about, you know, we'll offer compost to people starting out, particularly in community groups or whatever. 
because uh, it helps to, to start with a big lot and then you can become self-generating after that. I'm certainly making more and more. But the other thing is I'm selling about three tons of vegetables from my site here every year. And it's like my customers are not returning their poo. You know, so I can't close the loop. You said your customers are not returning their poo. <laughs> Yeah, I well, love you know, that because that's the closed system. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's not often mentioned, you know. Because that's why I don't think it's. It, I think it's an illusory goal, if you like. You know, I, I I don't see how I could generate every single little bit I needed from within my garden because a lot of stuff's leaving it all the time. I'm doing my best. I'm I'm up to about two thirds or something like that. So you probably get two tons of compost. Sorry, Steam's twitching. No, so just because we never mentioned for anyone listening who wanted to start no-dig gardening, how would they start then? And and what role does compost play in it? Or cardboard. Cardboard's not a given. You don't have to use cardboard, but it's useful if you've got a lot of weeds. Say you had a a thick sward of grass, you know, lawn, say, or whatever, or pasture. You put the cardboard just directly on top of that, and that serves to exclude light from the weeds below and they gradually die just under the cardboard. Then to hold the cardboard in place and to feed plants above it for a while, you put some compost down. And it doesn't have to be perfect compost. When I say compost, I don't mean it's got to be all smooth and fine and and just no lumps or anything. You can have some lumps. It could be old manure. You don't need to sieve it. Uh, so, you know, don't, don't set the bar too high there. As, you know, something reasonably well decomposed is good. That makes it more achievable. And then if you can manage to put maybe four inches, 10 centimetres of, of that composted material on top, and then you can plant straight away into that while the weeds and everything are dying onto the cardboard. And the, the compost on top serves to give you growth, give you food while the weeds are dying. And then within about three months, the cardboard's all decomposed and your plants have access to the soil below. That's it in a nutshell. And the, there's, there's complications sometimes, like if you've got bindweed, cooch grass, ground elder, uh, dandelions, they will push up through the cardboard once it's decomposed. And then you've got to deal with that. That's a bit of weeding you do need to do. Um, but keep removing them. And then their parent roots will die in the end. They just get exhausted. Uh, that's the lovely thing about no dig. You can get rid of cooch grass, for example. You've just got to be thorough. Do your pathways as well as your beds. There's little things like that make all the difference. Good tips there. That's a nice one. So for anyone listening, then it's it's a matter of like, say, I, I, I listen to this podcast to go, okay, no dig sounds great. It's it's about biodiversity. It's about keeping the carbon in the soil. Yeah. And it's about simplicity. It's about the elegance of true simplicity. So it's yeah. so it's like, pour, like if I have a grass, I, pour, I put out some cardboard on the on the bed that I want. And then I'll put about, about 10, centimeters. 10 centimeters or four inches of compost, any type of decomposed matter, really. That's It doesn't have to be perfect. Put it out and then just plant into that and boom, I'm ready to go. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's obviously a few caveats. If your compost is not quite decomposed enough, that can, like, for example, when people buy something called green waste compost, I don't know if it's described like that in Ireland or municipal compost, stuff they make in these composting facilities, they often sell it immature. And so you might buy a small lorry load and it tips off and it's steaming hot. And that's a warning sign. <laughs> it's not really ready to use yet. Um, you could use that as a very thin surface mulch, but if you made a whole bed with that and then plant something in it, its processes, its own process of decomposition will take food from your plant roots until it's finished decomposing. So for a couple of months, I always like to buy where possible compost ahead of time needing it. So I've got a couple of bars sitting in my garden now for that we'll use in the autumn, for example. 
So little details like that that you know you discover as you go along. I'll give you little warnings now. Um, but yeah, it is the most difficult bit. It's just getting started, and particularly if you've got a lot of weeds, uh, it's an approach that needs mastering. Have, have a close look at a couple of my YouTube videos on that, you know, for more information. Let's say, and and yeah, be prepared for a few ups and downs in those first few months. But once you've got your ground clear of weeds, and then you only need to put on every year. We put on about um, an inch, three centimeters, something roughly of new compost and that's it for the whole year that's on beds only we put a bit of wood chip on the pathways that's the only input we're not using any feeds or fertilizers we're not using any slug pellets we're using none of this synthetic stuff which is also quite expensive and so you know when people say to me oh you need a lot of compost well yeah but you don't need a lot of other things and you're going to save yourself so much time you know that's going to win you back the money and do other things or whatever it might be so it's, it's a process that Stick at it. If, if, if at first you you hit enter, encounter a few problems, don't don't be dismayed. Don't give up. You know, just hang in there. Um, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback for, on my YouTube from all over the world. You know, I had one recently from Sao Paulo, uh, someone up in the Himalayas in Nepal, uh, all different climates. Definitely in Ireland. I've got, I know I've got a lot of followers in Ireland, which I, partly I attribute to you being a small country, and I think it makes all of you more dynamic. You know, you you've got to sort of not fight's the wrong word but you, you've got to state your place in the world you're not apathetic you know you, you go for it i really like that i'd love to talk to you briefly about the real social media plays because i think it's you mm. use it beautifully often social media can be divisive and be you know an area where people can express their negativity or their challenge in life whereas you use it as a wonderful tool to amplify a message and to encourage people to to grow more veg and to apply a no-dig method. I wonder, one, like, how do you balance that amidst gardening? Because they're almost like opposites. And I know for us, it can be a challenging. And two, do you enjoy it? Like, what's your relationship with it? Yeah, I do enjoy it, actually. It's, it's an interesting one, that. I've, I think partly because my work here, particularly in the winter months, I'm, I'm actually not seeing quite a lot of people very much. <laughs> and so it's, it's a way of connecting with the world. But I do like that ability of social media to connect us with a, a lot of people that we have a lot of empathy with because you they're automatically drawn to you. You know, if, like, if you walk out of your door and, and walk around your local town, you maybe you most people are doing different things. They're not going to immediately resonate with what you're doing. But social media gives you that ability to go into all corners of the world. Like I've got a lot of followers in Patagonia. And it's probably somewhere I'll never go. And it sounds a lovely place. I, I would love to go there one day. Um, but they, they can resonate with what I'm doing here. And, and we have amazing conversations, actually, on social media. So I, I find that gives me energy. So it's 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 not too much of a challenge, actually. It, it, it does. <laughs> it's a bit of a time challenge. Like I'll, I get up really early and I do quite a bit of my social media then uh, before I go out. Um, but I would urge anyone to use it, embrace it, and, and see it as a means to encourage the positive. Because the last thing you want to ever do on social media, on the internet generally, I say, is get into an argument. And if I see one, someone coming at me in a slightly critical comment, I just, I'll deflect it. I'll, I'll always reply, or nearly always. There's only very few I don't, don't reply to. Uh, but there's nearly always something positive you can find in there. And there was one guy, lovely one, uh, he really went at me on YouTube and, and, uh, I can't remember these details, but I, I said, basically, you know, yeah, I, I can see you're, you're having a stressful time there, aren't you? You know, something like that. And he came out, he said, you know, that was so nice of you to say that. You know, he'd been all horrible before. And he, he suddenly said, you're absolutely right. I, I just had a sleepless night and I, I'd been on the cocaine, I think it was, and, you know, this kind of thing. And it just felt like that was really healing for him. So 
I, I felt privileged. It was like, you know, I felt like I was really helping him. Be, be, be careful, anybody, just not get sucked into anything negative. You you, you can actually use it often and to, to, to help people and, and, and find joy, actually. Very yeah. good. Very wise words. That's beautiful. That's a nice example of how not to engage. Okay, final question. We're over in Somerset in two weeks' time. Can we come visit you? Wow. Yeah, we're, we're, sta- we're staying in a, in a retreat place called 42 Acres for three days. And, right. and I was just looking, wow. I was just looking at the maps and it was like, Charles is like half an hour from there. We could run there yeah. in like three hours or something. Or yeah, we could you take a lift. There. Yeah, you okay. we, we should do a, a video or something. Oh, I'd, I'd love to. to. We can cook. We could cook. Oh, my <laughs> film videos. Brilliant. Yeah, great. This is that awesome. sounds wonderful. Really? I'll send you an email after. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, um, the range of vegetables at that time will have, well, the broccoli will have finished, the cauliflower will finish, but I'll have tomatoes, cucumbers, obviously summer vegetables, green beans and loads of leaves, greens. Oh, you can set us a challenge. You could, we could, you could pick some vegetables and we could see how good a dinner we could cook. Great. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> okay. Deal. I'll bring a few little toys right. with me then. Oh, great fun. Great fun. Well, well, send, send, send me some dates. I'm, I'm, my calendar's quite booked up actually, but I'm, Charles Downey we're total fanboys we love your work we love your philosophy we think you're wonderful for anyone listening um, where can they learn more I know there's your, your YouTube channel on the internet your YouTube channel is brilliant you have half yeah. a million followers I see your your play your silver play button in the background congratulations uh, Instagram your videos are cool I really like watching them oh thank you well Instagram as well I've got a big following there yeah I saw and my website charlesdowney.co.uk um, and you have a new book out in September. I just ordered it. Oh, have you? Oh, thanks. Yeah, just pre-ordered cool. it. Yeah, so loads of books there. And I do online courses as well. If you really want to get into it more deeply, you can sign up for one of them. Um, yeah, so have a look. And I like the way your courses are all based around single vegetables. You have one that's like chart, an yeah. in-depth study of chart, an in-depth study of leek. So I think it's, it's very yeah. specific. Yeah, brilliant. That's the From Seed to Harvest course. You can buy the lessons individually as well. So yeah, that's worth a look. That's pretty cool. Brilliant. Charles Dowding, you are brilliant. This has been tremendous fun. Yeah. yeah hasn't it? I've enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. And we can't wait to hang out with you. I, oh, I really <laughs> will have so much fun playing vegetables and cooking and talking and solving all the problems. Right. Okay. Yeah, good. <laughs> Bro. See you then. Yeah, thanks, thanks Charles. Thanks, thanks a million. million.